G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au We thought we'd come up with the idea of being a Christian band. We'd never heard of Christian music. Uh, no one had introduced us to any of the Christian artists. So we just started writing our own songs and um, performing. And yeah, it eventually took off. And that became my career for uh, five or six years until we decided as a band that we should get theological training. And so we disbanded and all went and did degrees in theology. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Well, last time we chatted with Dr. John Dixon from the Center for Public Christianity about the history of the Christian faith, both the good and the bad and about a documentary they've produced called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. Not surprisingly, we ran out of time before we could get it all in, so we've invited him back to share more about this story of Christianity and some of the great influences it has had on society over the years. But first, before we get back to all that, I thought it would be good to find out a little more about John's personal history and how he became a Christian. John, welcome back to the program. Great to speak with you, Eric. Glad to have you on once again, and uh, let's go all the way back. What is your background? Uh, well, I grew up in a uh, home that was pretty typical of uh, Australian homes in the 70s uh, that never went to church, never said uh, prayers at dinner time, never went to Sunday school. And so I just had the vaguest impression of the Christian faith. Um, and yet, you know, I still believed in God. Mm-hmm which I also think is pretty typical. Most people just intuit that this universe didn't come out of nowhere, that someone is behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was that kind of kid. Um, pretty happy home in many ways, in a very comfortable part of beachside Sydney. But I did lose my dad uh, when I was quite young in a plane crash. And I think that made me a more thoughtful kid than I might otherwise have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just found myself pondering deep things uh, lots of the time. Yeah, well, that um, must have been devastating at such a young age. Yeah, it was, obviously, um, and in some ways, you know, shaped me forever. But I think one of the things it did is just make me a ponderous little kid. So when I did eventually hear about the Christian faith, I at first was, you know, mocking. But, you know, the more I heard about it, the more it made sense to me. Um, it was a teacher at my school who was really a delightful, intelligent, generous Christian. And uh, she just made sense of the faith, put me in a position where I didn't come to Christianity with my smart aleck attitude that I came to everything else with. <laughs> I actually you know, wanted to know more. And the more I found out, particularly about the life of Jesus and the Gospels, those four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, the more I learned about him, the more compelled I was. So I think I, I moved as a 16-year-old to a fan of Jesus for uh, maybe six months. I wouldn't quite have called myself a Christian. But 
you know, maybe after a year of reading the Gospels and listening to this teacher talk about Christianity, I really had moved from being a fan to a, to a follower of Christ. And I, I reckon in the end, it, it was the bizarre combination of Christ's power and humility, his, you know, extraordinary uh, charismatic ability combined with that self-sacrificial personality. That's what drew me to him. And of course, you see this most powerfully in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's the most powerful person giving his life on my behalf Mm. and yet defeating death and rising again. There's that amazing combination of humility and and greatness that still animates my life uh, to this day. So about 16 years of age, I embraced Christianity. Um, It sort of came out of nowhere, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh, how thankful I am. And music has been a big part of your life. Yeah, well, um, like every teenager, um, I loved music and uh, listened to a lot of music. And so when I became Christian, my friends and I thought, how can we promote the Christian message? And we thought a band might be a good way to do it. It was probably, you know, partly motivated by wanting to be rock stars, like, like every teenager. <laughs> yes, be honest and partly about it. motivated <laughs> by, uh, you know, by a, you know, a, good, a, a good intent. And we thought we'd come up with the idea of being a Christian band. We'd never heard of Christian music. Is that right? Uh, no one had introduced us to any of the Christian artists. And so all of our influences were just the mainstream secular influences of the time. And so we just started writing our own songs and um, performing. And yeah, it eventually took off. And actually became an amazing way of spreading the faith. We wrote songs that weren't overtly Christian unless you knew it was about, you know, say, God's love. You know, like if I introduced a song about, you know, what it was about, you'd suddenly get what the lyrics are about. But we could have just performed the song and you'd just think it was a normal, you know, pop song. And that, you know, that became my career for uh, five or six years until um, we decided as a band that we should get theological training. And um, so we disbanded and all went and did degrees in theology. All of you? Uh, four of us from the band, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so for you personally, where did that take you? Well, at first, um, I went to uh, Moore College and did a uh, degree in theology and surprised myself that I could do it. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, it, it was very striking to me because I hadn't done very well at school. Um, oh, wow. And Here you are with a PhD and you didn't do well in school? Yeah, I didn't do well at school at huh. all. Um, you know, I, I guess I was one of those classic kids that without motivation, I just didn't throw myself into anything. Hmm. But, you know, once I found something I absolutely loved, I was on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and surprised myself by doing well. And, and the kind of studying theology opened up for me history. Mm-hmm. And I then transferred from a theological college to a major university here in Sydney, where I did my PhD in ancient history, especially focused on the birth of Christianity in the Roman world. Now, getting back to your rock star days, I recently spoke with somebody who said they were in high school when your band visited their high school and played there. Sounds very uh, plausible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we played in a lot of schools. It was uh, an amazing time touring Australia and overseas with my best mates playing music and having opportunities to talk about the Christian faith. It was uh, extraordinary. So 
So your band was called In the Silence. And we were very, very far from silent. <laughs> That's the music of our guest today, Dr. John Dixon, from back in his rock star days when he was with his band In the Silence. But as we heard, after the band broke up, many of the members went on to study theology. Next, we're going to turn our focus back to the story of the whole Christian faith. John has some wonderful insights into some of the positive contributions that missionaries have had on different cultures over the years. That and more when we return right here on Real Faith. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. You're listening to Real Faith. Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and our guest is once again Dr. John Dixon from the Center for Public Christianity. He's sharing with us about some of the positive contributions that people of faith have made to society over the years. Next, we'll hear about some of the fascinating discoveries that a sociologist named Dr. Robert Woodbury has made regarding the impact of Protestant missionaries in various parts of the world. Yeah, so Robert Woodbury is a professor at uh, Baylor University in the US, Mm -hmm. and he's a, a sociologist and has focused on the impact of missionaries in the places that they've gone, in Asia, in um, Africa, and and several other places. And what he found was that where these missionaries went, there is an observable sociological long-term impact on economic growth of those countries, Mm -hmm. in the prevalence of democracy, in the levels of education, uh, none of which can be explained by simply, you know, where those countries are or what they were before the missionaries got there. These are discernible, verifiable effects of the influence of missionaries helping them with medicine and education and teaching the doctrine of human equality, which leads to democracy and so on. Now, the interesting thing about Woodbury's research is that it was rejected at first. The findings were so overwhelmingly clear in favour of the impact of missions, that the original reviewers of it, the academic reviewers, said, this can't be right. You have to go back and crunch your numbers again. Come back to us when you've done that and we'll consider it. He, uh, he did it. He had to you know, redo the analysis and, uh, and went back. And sure enough, it was accepted and eventually published, even though he experienced people walking out of sociological conferences when he would give his papers, uh, people would just walk out and say, no, that can't be true. We all know the missionaries damaged cultures. They didn't do any good. And yet the data 
suggests, well, it doesn't say they didn't do any bad. Of course they did. We all know the stories of missionaries behaving badly. But the global effects of missionaries on nations is proven. And Woodbury's research, when it was eventually received by the sociological academies, um, he ended up winning massive international awards. Wow. Awards in sociology uh, for for this stuff because it has completely turned on its head the sort of cliched impression that where the missionaries went with their gospel, they ruined cultures. Well, there's now a body of data that says that really can't be argued. Yeah, I just want to read this quote from an article about him. It says, Protestant missionaries heavily influenced the rise and spread of stable democracy around the world. Protestant missionaries were a crucial catalyst initiating the development and spread of religious liberty, mass education, mass printing, newspapers, voluntary organizations, and colonial reforms, thereby creating the conditions that made stable democracy more likely. You don't hear about that very often. No, indeed. Um, And if people want to pursue this stuff, it's worth knowing that, say, in 2014, the American Sociological Association, which is the sort of peak body, gave him the award for best academic article in transnational sociology. Wow. And, and it was all about the impact of Protestant missionaries. Okay, well, let's focus on one example of how Protestant missionaries had a positive influence in a part of the world. Should we start off with uh, the famous David Livingston, I presume, in Africa? Is, is he a good example? Yeah, of course. Um, again, with some of these people, there are... Um, you know, there's, there's colonialism, there's, uh, there's patriarchy, there's paternalism. You know, that was just part of you know, the British culture. So there's no denying that we would look back on them and think of them as somewhat patronising mm-hmm. toward, you know, Africans. Or even racist, you know, in, in as much as they thought that British society was superior to African tribal society. But the thing that someone like Livingston or Albert Schweitzer, you know, many, many people who, you know, served in Africa and indeed in Australia amongst the Aborigines, the the standout was that they believed these indigenous peoples were fully human and absolutely equal. Maybe their cultures weren't equal to Western cultures. You know, the missionaries were patronising in that sense. But what they were up against in secular Western society was the view that these people aren't even fully human. These people aren't equal at the basic level. And it was the missionaries who had to argue against a scientifically informed secular Western culture that Indigenous Australians are absolutely equal, made in the image of God, just like any Westerner. Mm-hmm. And this is often forgotten. Yeah. We, we, you know, we judge the missionaries only on our now standards, instead of trying to understand that in a culture in which Aborigines weren't regarded as fully human, missionaries were the best friends that Indigenous Australians had. And this was the case in India and Africa and around the world. Okay, well, let's break this down a little bit more. So the Protestant missionary goes into a very primitive culture, say in Africa, and then what happens? How do they improve that society 100 years later? Um, how do they improve it? They implement education for all, uh, not just education for the elites or just for males. Uh, so it's education for all, girls and boys, which instantly allows those traditional peoples to engage with the wider, you know, the burgeoning Western colonial powers 
and make their own deals and understand the politics and engage. They established hospitals wherever they went and taught locals medical training, Mm -hmm. which meant that those communities had better chances of surviving the outbreak of diseases, uh, better chances than other communities that haven't had missionaries. And from that came, of course, economic development. If you have education and you have a a higher level of health, you have more economic output. Mm -hmm. And take that over a century and the economic output is enormous compared to places where the missionaries didn't come. And so it goes on. So it's this kind of snowballing effect. And the other thing is that Christianity came, obviously, with this education and health and economics. Mm -hmm. The missionaries thought they were trying to do good in every dimension of life, but they were trying to also preach the gospel and Mm -hmm. see these people to become Christians. And what that meant was that the central Christian idea that God loves everyone, even enemies, um, actually brought a sort of peace tradition into cultures that hadn't had a peace tradition, cultures that had a... um, Uh, a revenge tradition, which is most cultures that have ever lived. Is that right? It has seemed absolutely logical throughout history for revenge to take place. If if I've been harmed or my tribe has been dishonoured in some way, there must be a bloodletting of some kind. And the gospel, of course, says that that must not be so. And so it works for peace. The other practical impact of Christian missionaries is that the languages of these peoples were recorded because missionaries set about first learning the languages. Yeah, I mean, one of the basic parts of being a missionary, especially in an unreached people group, is to learn the language and then translate the Bible into that language and then teach them the Bible. Hence, that's where you get the education, you get the literacy, and all the rest that we've been talking about. Yeah, there are some Australian Aboriginal languages, um, actually quite a few, that exist today only because of the work of missionaries. Is that right? Yeah, uh, because missionaries instantly set about writing dictionaries, partly for their own benefit and partly for the benefit of those they taught so that uh, people could learn their own language in a written form um, because most of these cultures didn't have writing. So missionaries set about, as you say, translating the Bible, but also helping them, you know, learn to write just normal (laughs) documents Mm -hmm. in their own language. And as a result of this, the preservation of language is much higher than it would have been without the missionaries. You know, I've been thinking about this with um, the impact of the Protestant missionaries in these different cultures. Now, if you take somebody who was a strong Christian, and one of the parts of being a Christian is you believe in justice. Mm. You believe in common fairness. And some of the time, these missionaries would go there and find out that the people were being uh, taken advantage of by landowners and that type of thing, and they fought against that. Is, Is that right? Oh, they sure did. And um, we, in the long form of the documentary, in the episodic uh, version, we pursue a a couple of stories. Um, One in particular, a guy called Daniel Matthews, who served uh, the people down Echuca Way on the Murray. And uh, they had this amazing impact on the people of the the Aboriginal people of the Echuca region. Um, He was a business owner. He was a Methodist layperson, so not a missionary in the kind of formal sense, but when he saw landowners harming Indigenous girls in particular, he we have his diaries, and he, he just wrote one day, dear God, how can this be right? And he determined to use all of his resources to serve the Indigenous people. 
He ended up being one of the most significant European Australians of the mid-19th century. He and his wife, Janet, um, gave a portion of their land back to the Indigenous people when they discovered that it was um, sacred land to them. They uh, used their business profits to serve the Indigenous people with education and hospitals. Indigenous people would come and bring their children from the bush to Maloga, their, their land, the, the Daniel Matthews land, uh, because they knew that they would be safer there than out where the settlers are. Daniel Matthews was shot at more than once oh, wow. by European settlers for rescuing girls who were chained to settlers' beds for sexual pleasure. Daniel Matthews would just, he was quite a daring man, would just go in to the settler's home, bust the chains and take the girl out and, you know, bring them to safety. And, um, you know, it's pretty gutsy, pretty gutsy, practical stuff. And um, one of the um, journalists from Melbourne, who was a journalist for the, uh, I think it was the Footscray Advertiser, as it was back then, uh, actually went out to Maloga Mission to just see for himself sort of 20 years down the track what an amazing place it had become, a sort of haven for Indigenous people. And he ended his article, this journalist, this sort of hard secular journalist, ended the article by saying, on visiting Maloga, one gets the impression that a life has been given away for the black fella, which is not language we would want to use today, obviously. Yeah. But his impression was Daniel Matthews had given his life away for these people. That is what the gospel does. Amen. So just kind of um, recapping this influence, uh, this positive influence of the Protestant missionaries in various parts of the world, and now we have scientific documented evidence that it was a positive influence overall. So it sounds like the belief that every human being has dignity based on the fact that they were created by God, that has had a massive influence. And then also kind of the side benefit of believing in justice or just being repelled by injustice was not what the the missionaries originally set out to do. They were trying to get people to accept Jesus as their Savior, which is obviously a positive influence as well. But when you see injustices, you can't help but want to do something about it, which is sounds like was the case uh, with the person you just mentioned. Yeah, that was certainly the case for Daniel Matthews and let's say most other missionaries. Um, I don't at any point want to give the impression missionaries only did good. I mean, and we're quite honest about that in the documentary mm-hmm. that, that they did make mistakes and they, they were too harsh and patronising and so on. But in terms of the long-lasting overall effects, uh, it is pretty clear it's positive. Any final conclusions that you want to leave us with today? Well, I think in the end, if you genuinely believe that God loves this world so much, he entered into the world as a human being, lived the perfect life we couldn't live, gave that life on a cross, rose again. If you believe that, that has to change how you think about the world. If, if you believe the Lord of the universe loves the world, mm-hmm. loves everyone in the world, would give himself for the world rather than see anyone lost, if you genuinely believe that, if that animates your life, then you will live a life in service of others. And I reckon even the hardcore atheists should be able to see that logic. Um I'm not saying Christians are necessarily better than atheists, but I think even the atheist has to agree, if you believe human beings are complete accidents, you know, sort of just evolutionary accidents, there's no cause, there's no purpose, then you don't have a very strong basis for human equality and human compassion. You may feel human equality and compassion, Mm -hmm. but there's not a strong intellectual basis. But if you believe God made everyone and gave himself for everyone, 
you have the most powerful intellectual basis for all these values, lots of secular humanist love, equality, justice, compassion, charity. And the encouraging thing is that a lot of this heritage is continuing to this day. I'm thinking about how Christians are fighting against human trafficking. Ah, Christians are at the forefront Mm -hmm. of ending the trafficking movement. Uh, 18 of the 22 largest charities in Australia are Christian charities. 18 of 22. Yeah. So the legacy is still overwhelmingly the case. And someone, uh, the the expert uh, in this country on the influence of religion on social capital is Andrew Lee, who's uh, a member of parliament down in Victoria, a Labor MP and an atheist. But he has written that few organisations are as good as the church at binding societies together, at encouraging volunteering and philanthropy. Wow, that's fantastic. And I think I read a while ago that there was an atheist who lived in Africa, was raised in Africa, went to England and lived there for a while and came back about 30 years later. And he said that, to be honest about it, Christianity, the places where Christianity had an influence, were the most positive that he could see. Yeah, Matthew Paris, a very famous journalist in London. Yeah, he he, uh, wrote an amazing article that everyone can find. I think it's called um, Why Christianity Can Save Africa. And he basically said, I was wrong as an atheist to say Christianity harms the world. There is no doubt that Christianity can rescue the world. He doesn't mean theologically. He means in terms of peace and justice and economics and so on. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing all this encouraging news with us today. Eric, love talking to you. Our guest today has been, once again, Dr. John Dixon from the Center for Public Christianity, and they are the makers of a documentary called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. To find out more information, their website is publicchristianity.org. That's publicchristianity.org. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.